So I'm Christy Legale, and I beat the often pass by challenging the way we make plant-based meat. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us radically redefine what success means in our own lives and to help us understand that there are many, many, many dramatically different ways to achieve a life of fulfillment and meaning and, yes, financial success. My guest today is so cool. Christy Legali's path towards starting a company should be deeply inspiring for anybody who cares about our planet. With a background in aerospace engineering, working at Boeing and other top-tier firms, she decided to put her brilliance and global perspective to work on tackling the problem of processed food and industrial food production. She used her expertise to create innovative new machinery that will make it fundamentally easier to scale plant-based chicken alternatives with her company, Rebellious Foods. If you know me at all, you'll know how excited I am to hear and share her story today. She has truly beaten the often path. So here's the founder and CEO of Rebellious Foods, Christy Legali. I am very interested in the space, and there is a lot of, it's a hot topic right now about the whole debate about is it healthy? Or some people are saying, did you know that these meat alternatives are actually really bad for you? All kinds of gotchas, and there's a lot of animosity on the side of meat eater. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. But people like me, who have eaten a largely plant-based diet for many, many years now, appreciate these kinds of things and love these kinds of things. And that's why I had you on the show, because to me, having more variety so that I don't have to eat meat products is always a good thing. So can you tell everybody a little bit about your company and what it is that you have done? Yeah, so Rebellious Foods is a manufacturing and manufacturing technology company working to make plant-based meat available and affordable for everyone. And the way that we do that is we are designing and deploying new production equipment that we des design literally ourselves and even build ourselves in order to fundamentally bring down the cost of making plant-based meat to allow us to hit higher volumes for plant-based meat and achieve the ever sought after quality at scale issue of making plant-based meat. So, you know, a lot of people say that the, 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 the trick to getting everybody to convert as much as possible to plant-based products over eating animal products is price, taste, and convenience. And the way that we hit price, taste, and convenience is low cost, manufacturing, quality manufacturing, and volume manufacturing. And that's that's the key to it. And that's what we're doing at Rebellious Foods. So we're a producer of products and we use our own technology to make plant-based meat faster, better, and cheaper. Well, that's wonderful. Very good. And there's so many ways that we can jump into this. There's the mission part, there's the personal story part, both of which I want to talk about. But what do you have to say to those people? I know where I stand, those people who say, yeah, but these products, they're not actually healthy. Those people who say they're paleo diet kind of people, we should just be grilling meat like our cavemen and women ancestors did. There's no place for this kind of technology. How would you address that at the outset here? Well, I, I would say that the science is, says differently, you know, um, there science? are lots of- Wait, what's science? your word? I haven't heard <laughs> of that word. Differently. I only know podcasts. <laughs> so there's a lot of different ways that we consume animal-based meat. Obviously, in the United States, we largely consume chicken as the number one um, meat that it's actually produced globally and that we consume globally in this on this planet. And then pork and beef are about even in terms of their in terms of their consumption and production in the United States. Of those meats, we eat, eat them in any form from chicken nuggets to hamburgers, to hot dogs, to chicken pieces, to fried pieces. Um, there's such a wide variety of the ways that we make meat into other products to make them more palatable, to make them consumable, to make them even digestible. And um, hence, there's a lot of opportunity to replace meat in a variety of different ways. And a lot of different companies are working on different parts of that particular problem. And Rebellious is no different. You know, so when we look at the products that 
um, you know, have been most problematic according to the World Health Organization. We know that red meat isn't good for us. We've known that for a really, really long time. We know that it is a carcinogen. We know that it is problematic for another of other reasons. We also know that processed meat products are also a carcinogen according to the World Health Organization. And things like hot dogs and um, other like chicken nugget products are just, they're, they're maybe a little bit less of a problem in terms of carcinogenic level, but it's a very, very serious um, charge against meat that these are not healthy products. But what we find is that people eat them anyway. Right. <laughs> and we- taste good. Because they taste good mm -hmm. and they're convenient and they're, they're easy so to feed convenient. our kids. Exactly. And so what we, what often is confusing the conversation around um, plant-based meat is this idea that all processed foods are the same. And that is just not the case. Bread is as processed as plant-based meat is, if not more so, and yet it is not considered a class one carcinogen. Right. Um, and, it, you know, yogurt is heavily, heavily processed, but it is not often considered a processed food. Trust me, it does not come out of the cow tasting like strawberries. And, and, you know, so there's a lot of food processing that is lumped into one particular concern about, you know, we should eat less processed foods, but health professionals are trying to tell us, yes, please eat whole fruits and vegetables so that you can have a healthier diet, eat your leafy green vegetables, eat your beans and rice and things like that, that are all whole foods, vegetables. But when it comes to meat, the, the, the answers are a little less clear, especially because we don't eat whole cows. <laughs> we don't eat whole chickens. We eat processed portions of those particular animals. And those are inherently processed food, whether it's made out of chickens or cows or turkeys or whatever. And we, we heavily process them in some case. We inject them with salt and flavoring. We turn them into chicken nuggets. We turn them into hot dogs. Since people are gonna eat those products anyway, and because it's very, very hard to get away from processed products, especially in a fast paced environment, especially in your school lunch program, when the kids just won't eat anything but chicken nuggets, especially when it's a stressful week of tests and standardized tests or something like that. We need, we have found that we need these processed products and the goal of the plant-based meat industry is to make them considerably less harmful. Mm. As a result, plant-based meat products that are in similar form as hot dogs and hamburgers and chicken nuggets and things like that have so many of the harms removed. First of all, they are not carcinogens. They are simply plants that are mixed together in exactly the same way that bread is mixed together, which is also a processed product. They are also um, lower in saturated fat um, than animal-based meat, sometimes lower in sodium, not always. Um, and then they have no cholesterol. In the case of chicken products, no antibiotics, which a lot of schools are trying to get away from. And as a result, the micronutrient profile for plant-based products is an order of magnitude better than the meat products that we are working to replace. And that is fundamentally the harm reduction that plant-based meat can offer, not just to our health, but then there's the wider issue of the planet, better right. for the planet, better, less, considerably less CO2 emissions as a result, um, and better for the animals, even better for pandemic prevention, since, you know, chicken is the next, you know, biggest threat to humans when it comes to another global pandemic. Well, th those are all fabulous points. And it brings to mind, I believe it was in the book, Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman, where he talked about the inventor of Lunchables. Had, oh, yes. Didn't he do a complete 180? Like he created this ultra processed thing. And then later in life, he realized that it was a huge mistake, basically that he'd invented the next cigarettes when it came out that these things were uh, carcinogens. I could be completely off base on this, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there's a story like that floating around that at the time we just didn't know that that was the case. It was a matter of convenience. We said, OK, we can process these things in this way. And then the science came out that said, hey, that's super harmful. Well, I'm a big fan of, of Rodney. It's Rodney, right? Was that his name? I'm trying to remember his name because he later became the founder of Improved Nature. So he did do a complete 180. I'm correct. Oh, yeah. That? 
Okay, oh, yeah, good. Yeah. I thought I, I was. I don't know where I pulled that from. Sometimes things just show up in my brain, and I don't know where they come from or if they're accurate. But I'm glad to know that Rodney is a real person who did that. Yeah, yeah. So the fa- so the inventor of Lunchables, um, who's his name that I would love to look up this moment, but I'm, right. <laughs> but I'll but help maybe you we out. can continue your story. Okay, he's the founder of Renewed um, Improved Nature, and um, you know he has a wonderful story. I, I he's actually an inspiration to me as somebody who also wanted to work on harm reduction. But he not only was a fa- um, one of the inventors of Lunchable, but before that was working on um, USAID um, programs for food drops in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and other places where the, you know, the country's not the specific country isn't important because I'm probably not getting the details of his story right. But yeah. the idea is that early in the 1950s, when plant-based meat started to be seen as a really interesting way to feed people at lower cost and get them safer levels of protein, this was a, a highly sought after um, it, effort by the US government to try to create protein from plants and right. stable proteins from plants. So Rodney and others, food scientists like himself, we're trying to figure out ways to stabilize meat so it didn't degrade because it is dead animals. Sure. And so the solution they found was creating plant-based proteins or meat analogs or soy analogs to support world global feeding programs where food stabilization or shelf stable food was absolutely necessary in order to get food drops to people who were in refugee situations high on a mountain. So, um, like I said, he's actually a huge inspiration to me in starting Rebellious Foods because he understood when he started Improve Nature that that those types of products could be valuable to obviously other people. And Improve Nature is one of our fellow plant-based meat companies. They also work in the National School Lunch Program. They make great products, um, and they you know put them in a wide variety of other products like you know packaged products and other food products. And yes. I've, I've always been really impressed by that. But, you know, I wouldn't say that he necessarily, you know, he can speak for himself in terms of that sure. particular story, but I wouldn't say that he necessarily saw, a, a, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel or something like that, the better way that they were, but it's one and the same problem. People who are trying to make meat healthier often find that plant-based meat ends up being the better solution because at a chemistry level, at a protein level, People can get plant proteins just uh, more effectively and safer than they can get protein from animal sources. Well, that makes perfect sense. I found somebody named Bob Drain. I don't know. I couldn't figure this out, so I'm not sure. We'll just go with Rodney, our mythical Rodney. But but I think that's important to note that these things are an evolution. We've talked about that. And the people who look at this mythical past, they say, oh, but our ancestors 3,500,000 years ago, they were eating berries and meat. Therefore, that's what we should do. That's the right way. I've often said, yeah, but their life expectancy was 30 years old. And then people will say, yeah, but that was just because there were so many stillborns and however they still, but it's, you know, it's all, that's the kind of circuitous logic you end up engaging in. And, but we learn and we grow in the 1950s. We learned a lot about convenience. We say, okay, here's a microwave, here's packaged food. Here's a hostess Twinkie. That's going to last forever. We better living through chemistry. We're able to improve the shelf life. We're able to get these products to more people without them going bad because they're dead animals. And that's just a step one. But now we're learning some other things about those processes. Say, hey, there are some other aspects. Maybe they're causing cancer. Maybe these things build up in your colon. Maybe there are things that you don't want. And we learn and science is looking at that data and making assessments and changing and modifying that. I've always thought that's a beautiful process, but for some reason people want to stay locked in some mythical point in the past where they think everything was figured out. And, you know, or people will use the similar kind of gotcha where they say, yeah, but if you were starving on an island, you'd eat some meat or something like that. And say, well, of course I would, but I'm not starving on an island right now. We have choices. We have options. We have invented these things and we've studied them. So that's a whole different debate, which we don't have to get into. There are people who it's it's like a religion for them. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is fascinating is that we continue to learn, we continue to grow. And you personally came from a very unusual background for somebody who is involved in food. So what was the path that you were on before you took up this particular challenge? 
Yeah. So um, before I became came into the food industry and started a company in plant-based meat, I was working in the aerospace industry. I was an aerospace um, engineer, first at ATK Space Systems. Then I worked for a variety of consulting companies on ground-based and space-based telescopes. And then I went on to work for Boeing commercial airplanes, of which I had a fantastic time doing. Um, I really love aerospace, you know, the exploration of our universe um, and on a variety of aerospace yeah. projects. They've always been really interesting. But as many people often do, we um, are complex people and we have I'm more than one passion. And another passion of mine has been animal welfare <laughs> and, yes. and human welfare and women's rights and, um, you know, really supporting a better world overall, climate change. And as as an advocate, I was kind of wearing myself into the ground, um, you know, doing kind of two jobs, being a being an advocate and a speaker, you know, someone who speaks out on issues. And then, of course, doing my 40 hour plus a week job at Boeing Commercial Airplanes. But one of the things I was so passionate about is addressing large scale animal agriculture. It's one of those things that kind of combines so many social justice issues all into one. So obviously it's better for the animals. It's better for our health, for people who have family members who are suffering from chronic diseases that are often preventable or they can even mitigate the impacts of them. You, you really want our family members to be able to live longer and not suffer heart attacks or strokes, or if those things happen, they're at least delayed as long as possible. And so we, I really was passionate about, you know, what do we do about all of these social justice issues? And it really comes down to industrialized meat production and large scale meat consumption. And so I saw the opportunity to go into working on the replacements for that. I was inspired by some of the other uh, organizations that I volunteered with, with the Humane Society of the United States, which helped me understand programs like Meatless Monday and meat reduction programs, and ultimately was inspired by other founders in this industry and really wanted to understand how we could make more and better plant-based meat and make it cost-effective so that everybody could afford it. And that's when the idea for Seattle Food Tech, which is our corporate name, and Rebellious Foods, which is our brand name, came about because that's now fundamentally what we're doing. We are designing new production equipment to make plant-based meat faster, better, and cheaper, yeah. and then launching that equipment to bring down the cost of making these products so that rebellious products can be available and affordable for everyone. That is so incredible. There's so many things I want to talk about there. First of all, do you have a degree? If so, what is your degree in? In, yeah, uh, <laughs> I always like to say I'm a little overeducated. I um, got my first degree in organizational psychology, so business psychology, and then realized that was not what I wanted to do. So I went back to school, got my degree in engineering and mechanical engineering, and then went on to do my master's in mechanical engineering. So out there somewhere on Twitter, there's somebody who thinks that you're an idiot. Um, who should I believe, you or them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they're right in one way yeah. or form. So <laughs> a complete joke. But the point is, you strike me as a very qualified woman. And I love what you said about being multi-passionate. That's one of the running themes of this show in general. And I think there are so many things in life that appear to be disconnected. And it's fascinating to me that you end up here because I have had similar thought experiments that have led me on a similar path. And if you look at what astronauts say about leaving Earth, you have fascination with aerospace or things like that, it's always they get up into this spaceship and they look down and they say, gee, it's just one pale blue dot. We're all dependent on this spaceship. We're all connected. They're, they value Earth more. It's something you hear when they return all the time. They're so happy to be on Earth. We need to better take care of our planet. So from outer space and our understanding of how we fit into the cosmos comes, this place is pretty special. We need to take care of it. Comes, yeah. what can we do to take care of it? And what are we doing <laughs> that harms it? Comes, methane is a horrible problem. And the uh, industrial meat production is contributing enormously to greenhouse gases. And it's also depriving us of farmland that we could be using in a more intelligent way. So all of these things that to some people seem completely disconnected, there is actually a very logical connection. But I wish that more people could see how these things are interrelated at the start. And that seems to be the challenge that people like you and me are facing is to get people to see how making something as seemingly simple as a better kind of processed chicken nugget 
can lead into some truly larger issue. And I just love that that is where you ended up. Instead of saying, I'm going to keep fighting until I'm blue in the face, nobody's going to listen to me. You say, what can I do to make it easier for people like me who have a daughter to say, here you go, hon. Here's a chicken nugget. Mm-hmm. And she yeah. eats it, and she doesn't know the difference. She doesn't know whether there's an actual animal or not. She has no clue, and she's just as happy to eat a rebellious foods chicken nugget as she would an animal product, and she's fine. Yes, exactly. You know, we say at Rebellious Foods that you have to build the change you want to see in the world. You know, there's that old saying that, you know, you have to be the change you have to be in the world. But we always like to say we build the change we want to see. Because one of the hardest things about advocacy is you're always trying to change the behavior of other people. You're basically trying to convince them to make a different choice, whether that be to vote instead of not vote or to, um, you know, drive less and take the bus. Uh, And a lot of those things, that's the only lever that you can pull. When it comes to meat reduction, that's not the only lever you can pull. You can actually build a different system so that we can not just replace meat at the consumer level, but even replace it in our factories, even convert chicken processing facilities to plant-based meat production facilities, thereby essentially feeding the pipeline so that when people are choosing you know, chicken nuggets for the, you know, their, their, dis, their unified district school district, they would be able to choose that without having to worry about their budget. And, and as a result, those kids aren't exposed to the antibiotic laden chicken that is so commonly served in schools. So that's building the change that we want to see. It doesn't mean advocacy isn't important. It is. We need to bring people aware of, to, aware of the issues that affect our lives. But if we can fundamentally build a different system, then it becomes not a choice, but a default. <laughs> that is so, so cool. I agree with every single piece of that. So next comes the question of for your personal journey. You make this realization, you make this connection and you say, you know what? I'm not going to fight. I'm going to streamline my own existence. I'm going to build the change that I want to build in this world. From the moment that you conceived that idea to actually founding this company, can you describe to us some of the steps that you took to make that dream a reality? Yeah. Well, like a lot of people, (laughs) you know, I, I was not rich enough to just start a company. I was also very confused about how so many entrepreneurs who I saw as being able to dive into this space were doing so after having made plenty of money and maybe other parts of their lives. And so they could even dive in and be an entrepreneur and be a founder without even paying themselves to all the, all the more save on money. I think one of the biggest steps forward I had to take was face the fact that as a person with no no level of wealth, I had to find a way to both fund the company and fund it sufficiently so that I could, you know, keep a roof over my head and, you know, feed my dogs. And and that in and of itself was probably one of the biggest jumps I had to make. At the end of the day, you know, there are so many people and so many investors who feel like you know, you should be diving into this with either an altruistic, um, you know, an altruistic view and, and, and be able to just sacrifice everything for the company. There's no doubt that that happens in the end, but I really do feel like the, um, I really do feel like one of the big misnomers is that you have to be rich to start a company. <laughs> and the way we the way we ended up doing it is with and the way I ended up doing it with Seattle Food Tech and Rebellious Food was to fundamentally create a a structure, a plan around what we wanted to do, which is develop new production equipment based on my past, you know, 15 to 20 years of experience developing new equipment for Boeing commercial airplanes, flight equipment for ATK space systems, you know, doing consulting with ground-based telescopes and design work. So all of that could come forward as I had at least the credibility to say, I think if we develop the right equipment for making plant-based meat, we could fundamentally open up a very, very different market for this um, for this business that is fundable by investors. And ultimately it was. So the fundability um, of, a, of a company obviously comes from a great idea, the ability to execute that idea, the ability to show that it will be profitable at some point in the near future, 
And that's what we were able to bring forward to our investors over the last four years, which is to you know show that we we can actually um, bring to light um, technology to make plant-based meat faster, better, and cheaper. And so that that was really the step. It was getting over that first hurdle of do I have to be rich? <laughs> do I have to like live on ramen noodles? And well, to be frank, I actually did do that for a while. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, eventually I was able to, you know, take a salary, pay for everybody else's salary. And now we're a company of 50 people strong and, you know, we're, we're um, taking care of everybody. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Bang! It's that point where we interrupt for a little bit of a quick commercial. And the commercial this time is just a quick chance for me to remind you that if you like this show, please remember to subscribe to it on your podcast platform of choice. Subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you really like the show or her story or any of these guests, please rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave a nice review. Share this episode with somebody who is interested in plant-based food. Share it with somebody who's interested in CEO or founder stories. Help me grow this podcast with you. That's all I ask. So now back to the show. So when it came time to realize that you did need funding, how did you start that process? Because I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up. I'm assuming you didn't know much about that space going into that. Um, so I actually did know somewhat okay. about that space. Um, I actually left Boeing commercial airplanes one year before I started Rebellious Foods um, and went to, work, went to work briefly for the Good Food Institute, which is a, a nonprofit think tank working on alternative proteins. I helped them launch that um, that nonprofit with kind of the early foundational documents and technology strategy around both plant-based meat and clean meat. Um, I wouldn't say it was the direct, uh, direct method, the direct line to coming up with the idea for rebellious foods, but it definitely broke open a lot of the problems with the plant-based meat industry. So, for example, in the United States alone, we produce over 108 billion pounds of animal-based meat, and yet we only produce about one half of one percent of that volume in the plant-based meat space. Meaning that plant-based meat is largely unavailable for the vast majority of Americans, and it obviously it costs two to five times the cost. So, you know, plant-based meat as a solution to something like global climate change or large scale meat reduction or human health issues, or even pandemic prevention isn't helped by the fact that we don't make enough of it and it costs too much. So fundamentally, when I decided to start a company, I had some background and some connections in the plant-based space. I had also had those connections from being a volunteer, um, both at the Good Food Institute prior to that, as well as the Humane Society of the United States and other social justice advocacy groups that were working to change the space for the better through advocacy, but also encouraging people like me to, to try and jump out and, and make, make the change we want to see in the world through company building. That's so true. And if you know people, yeah, people are on a budget, especially now, times are tough. One of my guests is the uh, head of marketing for the LA Regional Food Bank and one in four people in my city, Los Angeles, have experienced food scarcity or experience food scarcity on a regular basis. And they serve all of this enormous group of people with food. So expense is a big thing. If I can get X amount of pounds of raw chicken in a grocery store for a couple bucks, and if a Morningstar patty is seven, eight dollars in Whole Foods for one or two, there's just this enormous gap in terms of the practicality for people to make that kind of shift. And something that's very frustrating to me as somebody who likes these kinds of things is you'll see something that appears to be a, a good protein patty, a good meat replacement. Even Trader Joe's has a nice one, a high protein. And I've never understood this. They'll give you two wrapped and individually wrapped plastic in an individual box. Now, why can't I get 45 of these things without the plastic? Why do I need to go through all of this single-use plastic? And it's just shocking how we got one piece right, but then there's this other piece that we are still so far behind on. And that's always kind of confused me. Also, just walking through Whole Foods in general, I think to myself, how many dollars are being spent on the packaging of these yeah. quote unquote health food things? They're thicker cardboard, more ink, more print, all of this stuff. And I'm like, guys, aren't we kind of missing another point here that it's all tied into the same ecosystem? How do you feel about stuff like that? 
Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting topic to discuss how we address packaging in the food industry, but it's also really helpful to understand why. <laughs> so I, when I heard your story there, when I heard your story there, I thought of two things. First of all, why are we packaging plant-based meat in two patties when most of us don't have two people at home? I mean, we often have five people, or exactly. even if you have two people, maybe or I'm you, hungry. You want to eat more. more than one? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So let's address that um, first, and then the second is, you know, what do we do about packaging in the food industry, but why are we even here? So let's start with the first one because it's relevant to plant-based meat specifically. You know, most plant-based meat does come in small packages for one very, very good reason. It costs a lot to make these products. And the only way to make them palatable from a price perspective for consumers is to package them into small packages. And that's really unfortunately, that's why you see Beyond Burger with two patties for $7.99. It's why you see... Um, you know, beyond, you know, impossible burgers for $12 for four patties or something when the competitor is at three. <laughs> um, so it's really, really different. Why it costs so much to make plant-based meat is exactly the problem that Rebellious Foods is tackling. The vast majority of plant-based meat in this, in this industry is made via what's called mix and form production, which is exactly the same way we make bread. We bring together disparate ingredients, we process them in just the right way, and then we get a a really formed dough, and then we take that dough, dough and form it into nuggets or chicken tenders or patties or whatever. That mixing process and most of the processes done to make plant-based meat is all being done in a batch process using conventional meat processing equipment, which was never designed to make plant-based meat. So this entire industry is built on the back of industrial equipment that is ill-designed for the production of the product that we're purporting to make. And as a result, that is what's fundamentally costing us too much money to make these products. Now, the ingredients also cost more too. But part of the reason ingredients cost more is because it's an order of magnitude smaller industry than the meat industry. So what we're doing at Rebellious... Subsidies subsidies for the meat industry. Subsidies make a difference. Yes, subsidies make a difference, but they're they're not quite to the scale of like chicken. So we, we produce over 45 billion pounds of chicken in the United States. The vast majority of, is, is funded by people who are buying it and eating it. So subsidies matter, especially in certain sectors like the National School Lunch Program, where it is hard to compete. But the vast majority of chicken is being paid for by people who are eating it. Um, So, but what we did at Rebellious Foods is we just threw out the old equipment and designed our new equipment so that our products could be made at dramatically lower cost. And as a result, the right equipment allows us to bring a 60% reduction in the cost of making plant-based meat. That is fundamentally going to translate into more burgers in the package, into consider, you know, making it palatable for that $12 package of burgers to include 10 patties instead of two or for four, whatever we said earlier. So that's fundamentally a plant-based meat industry problem. And it's one we're working on day in and day out at Rebellious Foods. Bravo. Thank you. <laughs> the other is just the other concern, which I personally feel incredibly um, passionate about as well, is packaging and plastic in the food industry in general. So one way we can address that, of course, is to put more products in package, buy in bulk, you know, essentially utilize that plastic better since it's a, if we have more product in there, then we're using less plastic overall. So that's a huge thing. And that's something, you know, scale in the plant-based meat industry can address um, to some degree. But we have to go back to why we package so much product, especially in the United States, but of course, globally, all of packaging is done this way for food. And it's really around food safety. It is really, really hard in a global environment to provide safe food to people without packaging it. (laughs) And there are some really, really innovative companies who have come up with better ways to do this, especially for like fresh fresh fruits and vegetables. I I encourage people to check out Appeal, A-P-E-E-L. They're a really great company that does kind of a wax coating on, on very different products. And that's a better way of providing fresh fruits and vegetables without the packaging. So more and more that we can do this is solve the problem of food safety with respect to plastic. If you think about it, if we did not have plastic, which I'm not advocating, we have more of, but absolutely less of, it would be a very, very serious food safety issue. Okay. So this is just one of the great challenges that you have to work on. 
yes, trying to figure definitely. out how to balance food safety with something that I'm sure you also believe is incredibly harmful. Yes, exactly. I mean, the dangers around food safety are are real. I mean, the reason sure. that we have white bread is not because people were just dying for bread to be as white as possible. The reason we have right, white bread is because it was developed at a time when food safety was not a priority. And they found that they could show people their bread was pure by making it as white as possible and that they weren't hiding anything in it. So there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of like response to previous food safety concerns of the 1920s to the 1940s, which is where a lot of processed foods come from. That's such a good point. I never do that, but it makes perfect sense. Yeah. goes back to what we said about the evolution of things, about how we had to start here, but that's not where we need to end up. We made Wonder Bread, and it truly was a wonder, I'm sure, in its time, but that doesn't mean we need to end the conversation there. We've got to go forward and yeah. reevaluate and ask ourselves what's going to serve us for the next 50 years. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, just speaking about Wonder Bread is such a good example. I mean, the major issue at the time when Wonder Bread was developed was food adulteration, which was basically where they were putting wood chips in bread. And then people couldn't tell the difference because, because they couldn't see that their bread, you know, bread was just made out of so many things by standardizing it the way with Wonder Bread did, they were able to give people a much safer solution. Now it came with other problems, but, um, you know, such as like a high carbohydrate content content and things like that. But hey, at least it didn't have wood in it. At least it didn't have wood in it. That's yeah. their new slogan. If you're listening, Wonder Bread, that's your next Super Bowl commercial. There you go. So this is fantastic. So you started this company in 2015, right? Uh, 2018, actually. 2018. Okay. So relatively yeah. recently. Uh -huh. um, how has your personal life changed? You mentioned that you didn't set out to eat ramen and to struggle. So how do you feel what, how has your day-to-day -day life changed since you made the leap? Were there moments of positivity, moments of negative, negativity, moments of doubt, moments of jubilation? Can you describe the emotional roller coaster that you went on and where you are today in that process? Yeah, so there, there's an interesting story around this particular issue because, you know, companies like ours that started in 2018 and 2019 then hit a global pandemic. So a lot of our roller coasters really had to do with battling a virus head on. But, um, but absolutely, you know, when, as I said earlier, part of the reason I wanted to jump off and work on these issues is I felt passionate about it, but I also loved aerospace, you know, like, why can't I just do it all? Right. Right. And I was doing maybe 40 hours a week in advocacy and 40 hours a week doing, um, doing, uh, working at Boeing commercial airplanes. I feel like now I'm also working 80 hours a week um, no because, <laughs> because it is a never ending job and it is a, a 24 seven job and it doesn't really stop for the weekends. And, and in a lot of ways though, that's okay. I find that more and more as you can fill your, fill your time with things that you are genuinely passionate about and that can genuinely help you essentially make change outside ourselves for a better world and for a better community, we, we are filled up in different ways, right? We find ourselves energized at times that other times that would have been exhausting. We find ourselves able to do things and go above and beyond that we, we never thought were possible. And that's one of the things that we really try to help people to do at Rebellious. We hire a lot of people with maybe a little less skill set than they maybe originally thought that they could do a job and help them learn into those jobs because people who are willing to just learn and be the change they need to be in the world and um, you know are passionate about service to others really can go the distance in a very short period of time and, and reach farther and higher heights than they ever thought possible. And I consider that, you know, myself included, but so many of the people that you see on the Rebellious website who run our company have, have come to the company maybe with a little bit of experience and then soared. You know, our very first production nuggeteer is now our supply chain manager. One of other technicians is now our video producer. You know, um, we just, you know, our, our early director of manufacturing is now our VP of research and operations. So we hire people and help them see that, you know, passion can turn into the ability to do more than we ever expected before. And the reason I bring that up, given your question, is that the roller coasters 
go really high and they go really low. And one of the ways to get through that for me and for others at Rebellious is to lean on that passion, to know that it's always okay to take a 30 minute nap and get back to work. But um, at the end of the day, you're energized to get up from that nap because you know that there's, there's real change and and you can see yourself doing things beyond what you ever thought possible that you could do. And that's probably one of the most exciting things about working at Rebellious for me and, and what I've heard from others at Rebellious is that they're achieving more than they would ever thought possible in their careers and certainly whatever they thought possible for um, making an impact in the world. <laughs> that's so great. And it brings up another word that I think about often, which is momentum especially when one is going against the grain or going against popular opinion or the Twitterverse or social media. The sense of momentum, I think, is such an important thing for anybody, especially if they're working on a mission. Like you said with the advocacy, you don't want to have a feeling that you're just beating your head against a wall, that your message is falling on deaf ears. And that's something that I personally feel and struggle with sometimes. How do I reach more people without being condescending? Or how do I meet people where they are? Maybe my brain has wandered over here, but other people are still several steps over there. So the sense of momentum, because I'm assuming that a big piece of why you and your team feel motivated is that you have these little moments where things are working out or maybe you land a supplier, or you land a new contract and you think, OK, we're getting somewhere. How do you get a sense of momentum if you feel like you have none or if you're at a standstill? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think momentum certainly comes from being able to share and celebrate our successes together. You know, almost every month, pandemic uh, spikes not permitting, but sure. almost every month we try to celebrate our successes together. We um, keep in constant contact. We share all of the new stores, every new store that we get into. We share every new contract, every new school district, every new food service outlet um, goes to the whole company. So everybody gets to share in those successes. Um, every week we have a strategy meeting where we um, share you know, what the research team is doing, what the production team is doing, how do we recycle? That was last week on how we recycle because we want to be an ethically, um, you know, sustainable company. Um, and, and what we're doing to make that, you know, to build each person's part of the company. So I think momentum comes from helping people see the big picture, uh, the big picture and the little picture, let's put it that way, because sometimes the devil's in the details, right? So, um, and then, and then making sure that we always celebrate those and also not being afraid to celebrate individuals. You know, part of what we do at our celebration each month is have all of the managers outline what they think their biggest accomplishments are. And we, you know, absolutely celebrate every single one of them, even if it takes me 45 minutes to get through the list. <laughs> so uh, I think momentum is that. Um, momentum is having, you know, making sure people can see where they're going with their careers also. And that's a really big part of what we have prioritized at Rebellious is making sure that people are not just feeling like it's the momentum of the company that's important, but, but their own personal development is important because that feeds into the company as well. So, and so, and then also, you know, we see so much change in the outside world where more and more people are accepting of plant-based pro products, more and more customers are wanting them and being able to consistently continue and consistently communicate our larger strategy around bringing down cost, increasing volume and increasing quality of plant-based meat is a, is, is a major way that we continue to show that not only do we have the momentum, but it's, it's, it's there because people are making it happen and we have to continue to celebrate and communicate that. That's wonderful. Do you feel that the tide is turning slowly? Um, for plant-based meat and In general, industrial yes. animal agriculture? I do. I do. I think there are some really really important questions to ask in the plant-based meat industry today. So a lot of people at the end of 2020 were very concerned about the fact that, um, you know, uh, pardon me, Beyond Meat missed their sales targets for 2021 or, you know, at least for a certain quarter in 2021, but it was still a huge accomplishment what Beyond Meat did. 
And then more and more analysts were coming around saying, oh, well, this is a shift in the industry, but I don't think it's going to like surpass more than 2% of the animal beast meat industry. Meanwhile, a lot of people don't realize this by volume, the meat industry adds an entire plant-based meat industry every year. It's growing by 3% every year. So we're actually growing the meat industry by volume much faster than we are growing the plant-based meat industry. So, um, so this, this is really important for understanding that, you know, the plant-based meat industry has seen some ups and downs and analysts are starting to wonder like, what is this future going to be? But right now, the big question is no longer do people love plant-based meat? Because most people have tried it, the recent products, the better products, the impossibles, the beyond, the rebellious they know that plant-based meat can be fantastic. It replaces animal-based meat very effectively. We have to hit the price ball, the price points. And that's what we're doing at Rebellious Foods more than anything else is making sure that that high quality product is going to be available to feed your family of five, to feed the, you know, the, the 10 kids that came over for, you know, a a sleepover for somebody's birthday and they all got chicken nuggets that night and they were all yeah. plant-based. That's the, and that's nobody the knew the difference and, they and all nobody lived. knew the difference. Yeah. <laughs> they all survived. If you and can it, believe that. Exactly. And now we have like 20 school districts that are serving our products 20. and kids oh, don't know the difference. Wonderful. Yeah. That's so exactly. Incredible. It is. <laughs> it smells good. It tastes good. Kids are happy. <laughs> if they're exactly. getting the nutrients they need, they're fine. They got the protein they need without the saturated fat levels, right. without cholesterol and no antibiotics. I love all of that. No artificial right. colors or flavors, too. Right. So it's it seems like rocket science, but apparently it's not quite rocket science. It's just aerospace <laughs> engineering, folks. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Almost there. Um, so in the next five to 10 years, if everything goes absolutely perfectly for you personally, what do you think would happen? Yeah. Rebellious Foods is poised to be the next big chicken. And, you know, big chicken has often been seen like a lot of like, quote, big companies, big oil and big energy. And big chicken has its problems, too. You know, there there are allies in one respect, because I think a lot of people in the chicken industry can see the writing on the wall. They know that plant based is going to become a major part and has already become a major part of the food industry. But the question is, how does a company become that big company, that impactful, that commodity company that meet solely holds the position for, because, you know, we don't necessarily know the name of every beef company that we buy beef from. We don't know the name of every pork and we don't know the name of every chicken company because it's become commoditized because it's so big. What we want for Rebellious and what we're expecting and what we're poised to do is we are the only company that knows how to make high quality product at scale at a low price because of our technology. And we are poised to be the net, the big chicken of plant-based chicken. And so that's what we're working on doing. And that that's really important because if you are going to feed that, you know, those schools, those kids, the, you know, even the nursing home that has, you know, chicken tenders for dinner, but they're plant-based. Why not? Exactly. They need a product that's as low priced as the big chicken would be if it was made of chicken. And that's what we're doing at Rebellious. You know, the ability for a company to reach those milestones doesn't just come from mythical scaling efforts that are hopefully going to reach a point where somehow the price will magically come down. When you're using the wrong equipment to make a product, you're fundamentally scaling the wrong process. That's the problem that we've solved at Rebellious. And that's why we're poised to be the big plant-based chicken of the industry. Super cool. This is me cheering you on. I'm clapping for you and cheering you on. I think that's (laughs) a very noble mission. And that is super, super cool. So as we start coming to a close here, one of the key themes of this is the unusual paths towards success. I'm curious in the last four years, of doing this, what are some genuinely unusual or unexpected insights that you've had? Well, one of the best options or opportunities when you start a company is the option, uh, how do I say it? The opportunity to make all sorts of different decisions that have been made in the status quo. So for example, you know, hiring, hiring the right team members 
has often been seen as something that is kind of done one way in the industry. And then if you want to add diversity and inclusion to those particular um, to that particular issue, you somehow have to change or somehow have to force the issue. You know, like we must have, um, you know, certain candidates of diverse, diverse racial backgrounds or gender backgrounds. And, and somehow that feels like a forced option. At Rebellious, I feel like we have learned and are continuing and continue to learn that, you know, once we provide a place where people feel really comfortable working, that is what fundamentally opens up the, the benefits of a diverse workforce. Now, we still have a long way to go at Rebellious. We want to be even more inclusive and more, um, and more diverse and more have more people with more ideas about how, to, how and why and to do things. But I really feel like when you build a company, you can kind of go with kind of the easiest thing that happens. There's so many people who come to our doorstep and say, I have 15 years of food production experience and I can just break this thing wide open or, you know, and that's great, but they're going to do things exactly the way they did things before the, the opportunity to find people who can think outside the box and who are passionate about things, even when they get hard and are willing to do things differently, even when it might be harder at first, goes hand in hand with diversity. It goes hand in hand with finding people of all backgrounds who have different ways of doing things, who come from different family situations. And even um, in our company, we're largely woman operated. And we are really, really proud of that because that makes us a stronger company to make change. It doesn't mean we're going to look like another plant-based meat company or even look like another food company, but it does mean that at the end of our road, whatever that is, maybe 10, 20, 50 years from now, we are, we are fundamentally going to change an intractable system rather than just create another plant-based meat company and more products at high price and low volume. <laughs> so we're, we're fundamentally going to change the structure of making plant-based meat. And I believe that comes from the diversity and strength of our workforce that is, you know, in a lot of ways could be considered non-traditional. Well, I can honestly think of no better way to wrap this episode up than everything you just said. I think that's a phenomenal answer and way to put a bow on this. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and to share your remarkable story. I think there are so many incredible pieces in here for anybody who's paying attention. And I very, very, very much look forward on a personal level to seeing your rise and success and to seeing you take over more schools and increasing awareness and i have an extreme vested personal interest with my family and your success so thank you i look forward to you becoming all of the things that you set out to become so again thank you very very much for joining me um and with that the official podcast is over yet another remarkable episode here we are and patterns are starting to emerge aren't they we've talked to a lot of incredible people and we're starting to see patterns about personal success. We're starting to see patterns about making money doing something you love. We're starting to see patterns about how we can improve the planet and build something that benefits us personally at the same time. I'm gonna put all these together for you eventually and I'm gonna connect the dots for you. But in the meantime, if you want to help this podcast grow, you can support me and support this endeavor by rating the show five stars, subscribing on your podcast platform of choice, subscribing on YouTube, leaving a positive comment, and above all, sharing this episode with anybody who might want to hear it. Maybe you've got a friend who wants to build a business. Maybe you've got somebody who wants to know about the future of plant-based meat. This would be a great time to share that episode. So again, thank you for joining me. I'm Ross Palmer. This has been the Beat the Often Path podcast, and I will see you next Friday. Thank you for listening.